Welcome to Therapeutic Perspective. My name is Sarah Dynan, and I will be your host. Each episode, our goal is to educate clinicians on current issues presented in society and feature specialists that can help us to navigate these issues. As a licensed professional counselor in private practice in Northeast Pennsylvania, with over a decade in the field, I am always wanting to learn more to better serve my clients. Especially as things in society evolve and change, I believe we need better access to current information. Therapeutic Perspective is a continuing education provider, so stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can obtain NBCC continuing education credit hours for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome to episode 10 of Therapeutic Perspective. Today, we are here to talk about the psychological impact that narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD, has on children. The complexities associated with NPD can be difficult enough for adults to understand, but imagine this diagnosis from the eyes of a child and the psychological impact that they can endure into adulthood. In this episode, we will explore what narcissistic personality disorder looks like in a caregiver-child relationship and how we as clinicians can help clients understand and work through these issues. But first, let's do a little review. According to the Mayo Clinic, narcissistic personality disorder, one of several types of personality disorders, is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. But behind this mask of extreme confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism. Narcissistic personality disorders causes problems in many areas of an individual's life, including relationships, work, school, or financial affairs. People with narcissistic personality disorder may be generally unhappy and disappointed when they are not given the special favors or admiration that they believe that they deserve. They may find their relationships under, unfulfilling and may not, others may not enjoy being around them. Most often, because of these characteristics of the disorder, we don't necessarily see these individuals in our office, often because they do not see that there's anything wrong or that there's a problem. And if they do seek treatment, it's more likely to be for symptoms of depression, drug or alcohol abuse, or another mental health problem. But perceived insults to self-esteem may make it difficult to accept and follow through with treatment. As a result, more often we may see those who have to deal with the fallout of interacting with an individual with narcissistic personality disorder. In this episode, we are going to particularly focus in on those who are children of an individual with NPD. And to help us gain more knowledge and uncover best treatment options, we have with us licensed professional counselor, Jill Harrell. She graduated from Arcadia University in 2006 and completed her licensure preparation program at Chestnut Hill in Pennsylvania in 2008. She received her LPC in 2012 and opened private practice Harl Counseling and Associates in 2015. NPD and other personality disorders are a topic near and dear to her heart because so many therapists and adults struggle from the long-term effects of parents or caregivers with personality disorders. So without further ado, here's Jill. Welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. I am so excited to have you here to talk about these issues. Like there's so many posts that I see on groups 
And it's a lot of clinicians who are struggling with their client who has a, who is the child of a narcissistic um, parent. So um, I think this is something that we're talking about a lot. So I think it's really important that we address it. So to start, I think it's important just to kind of review some of the different types of narcissism. So let's focus on the three main types. We've got grandiose, overt type, fragile, vulnerable, covert type, and high-functioning exhibitionist type. So can you give us a little review on this? Sure. I'm actually glad because I, uh, I needed to review myself because I usually don't use these words when I'm talking to people about narcissism. But um, your overt narcissism is usually characterized by uh, feelings of grandiosity, feeling superior, um, requiring special treatment. Uh, it is your job to cater to their needs, feed their egos. This type is um, more aggressive, maybe even has like a comorbidity or two with other disorders that are more in the aggressive form. Um, a vulnerable type, they're very sensitive to criticism. They seek reassurance almost constantly. Uh, they do believe that they're special and deserving um, of love and affection, but often they use their like a victim stance to access their needs. Uh, these individuals do function sometimes, or I should say most often with anxiety and depression and fluctuate with a high and low self-esteem. Uh, they really count on other people to define whether they feel great or not so great about themselves. Um, I would say uh, the, <laughs> the high functioning is, is what you would typically see probably as like a CEO in a business or whatnot. So um, they can be seen in the high power positions. They seem stable. They seem successful, but they're incredibly um, affected by feelings of defeat or feelings of failure, rejection. Um, they have a grand sense, obviously, of entitlement. Uh, the last subsection can be exploitive, very unempathetic. They lack compassion for their fellow man unless the person can benefit their needs. Okay. Yeah. So all three of those, like as you're describing them, I'm just picturing the child. I'm picturing the, what the child must feel like in those circumstances to kind of feel like their behaviors are, you know, so like punishing to their parents and that their parent is just disappointed in them and that unempathetic um, persona with the narcissistic parent, or we're going to use NP occasionally, um, that lack of empathy and how that impacts um, a child. So we're going to kind of imagine that that child is our client for this podcast. So like I said, at the top of the show, we are more likely to see those people, those clients, those children of narcissists in our office because um, NPD, with that diagnosis, most often individuals are in denial that they have a problem. So what are some of the symptoms as clinicians that we will see in session that would indicate that our client was the parent, was the child of a NP, narcissistic parent? Okay. Thank you for the MP thing. That's yeah. really helpful for me. Uh -huh. um, I know I'm going to stumble over that. So thank you. Yes. So um, it's what is really important for to put out there is that you typically with children will not see many of these uh, symptoms or feelings until they're a little bit older. So if you think of uh, a reciprocal parent-child relationship, what you usually see is, we'll say from birth to maybe young teenager, the tweens, um, that there's this need that the child has for the parent and therefore that if there is a narcissistic parent, they actually do uh, essentially feel like that's catering to their needs. 
even though it's excessive. And uh, as clinicians, you might find those excessive symptoms, um, but the child usually isn't cognizant. Um, you'll usually see effects of uh, MP probably around the time when you see a little bit more autonomy. So I would say like 14, 15, 16. So it's really important when we're identifying child here, like we can't work in, in the version of like, let's talk about your narcissistic parent until you actually are in a place where you can have that client express um, what the symptoms are. Um, but the, the simple answer, the non-simplistic answer to your question yes. would be along the lines of, so there's, there's, yeah, so there's a book that it's called um, Will Ever Be Good Enough? Okay. Um, it's from Carol, it's Carol McBride, I believe. Yes. Um, but they kind of list the warning signs as questions, so like feeling unlovable, feeling empty, not feeling enough, uh, self-doubt, and this is because there's an inadequate emotional nurturing that results in that unstable love relationship. So like in an MP family, um, the needs of the MP parent that that narcissistic parent dominate the time, money, and energy that the family has as a whole. So in, in a typical family, you would see, you know, the parent taking care of the child and the only thing the child res is responsible for is like helping out or learning reciprocity and care. But this is like a, a sucking dry of those things. So um, it's, it's going to be very difficult uh, to detach from this parent emotionally. Um, but, but this child might struggle very much so with the validity of their feelings and understanding their feelings have meaning. And, uh, you might see a child, uh, especially an older child struggle with whether they want to make their parent proud or not. Okay. So you can, in session, you'll kind of see, hear them like really struggle with identifying their own feelings and not feeling that their, their feelings are correct or justified or valid. So if, if, if we as clinicians are doing a lot of that and trying to do, I'm thinking, I'm imagining doing like a lot of cognitive work on this, um, if we dig a little deeper, we might find that this is a result of their caregiver-child relationship and potentially that that caregiver had NPD. You know, one of the things that you mentioned in there too is the financial the financial situation of the family that can ultimately be predominantly absorbed by parents. Is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah. I mean, you can see things uh, like with a narcissistic parent, I think you'll see a kid say like, I'm not allowed to do something because that takes away from family time or um, they struggle with their identity. Like I, I can't wear certain things or act certain ways. Um, because of what my parents think. So like, uh, think of it more as like an identity and okay. maybe a lot of guilt about asking for money or special things. You, the guilt's a huge thing. Okay, okay. So you kind of feel them always like questioning if, are we talking things like guilt associated with like, if, the, if the, I'm picturing a teenager, if that teenager needs like conditioner, shampoo, like those types of things, feeling guilty, asking their parents for those items? Uh, there, there will be guilt, but it's more of the after effect of that. So for instance, mom, can I please have this really special type of hair conditioner for myself? And then you'll hear a mom say, a narcissistic mom, obviously, um, you don't appreciate me. They'll get okay. all I do for you. It, it'll kind of be like, uh, if you don't show enough appreciation or respect for that favor, uh, you're, you're going to not feel good enough. You're going to feel the effects of that. Yes. Um, and so 
even when it comes down to, um, and I could see like that teenager, so much of their identity lies in like their interactions with others. And so, so much of that psychological impact, like that is being absorbed, especially in teenager in developing their, their identity. So it's really what you're saying is that those teenage years is when it really starts to have like a huge impact. Well, think of it too, as if you have uh, teenagers first going through their hormonal stages and they have mm -hmm. their first boyfriend or girlfriend, you tend to see the instability start there in the relationship because you'll see them be more attracted to people that are almost like need sucking instead of reciprocal. Okay. So it, it's almost like a first little glimpse into what they believe looks like love. And as you understand with the NP, it's, not real. It's a distorted version of love. It's not the real authentic love that most people do experience in, in a family relationship. Okay. So a lot of times you can even preliminary start to see the effects of it as they're engaging in their first um, relationship at that high school age. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and when we're looking at this teenager, this child that we have in our office, what are your what do you feel like are the best treatment options or modalities for helping an individual in this situation? Yeah. So I, I'm kind of the type of clinician that, um, th this is such a, a deep thing to deal with. <laughs> I mean, for lack of better words, that um, when I'm treating people who have uh, adults in their lives that have sucked them dry with their emotions and their value, um, it, it's such a slow approach. So we'll, we'll call it like more of a, a cognitive behavioral approach with feelings and emotions. Um, but first it has a lot of like bereavement pieces to it. There's, there's just a, so many issues. There's detachment, there's communication. So, so I'm going to just bring you through kind of what my style is and, and working step by step through this with a client. Um, and, and of course, if, if you think that we can put a modality to it, we're, I'm happy to lay. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But walk but, us through, you got somebody in your office, talk us through what your treatment approach is. Yeah. So, um, usually, uh, obviously after your intake, you'll, you'll kind of get a little bit of an identifier, but there's a lot of times that a client, especially an older teen client or a young adult who will say, do you think that my parent could have been a narcissist? And of course, we, we should really like step gently around that. So the client has learned for years that, the, that their, their goal is to fulfill the needs of this other person, um, that that person's needs are way bigger than theirs. Um, they haven't understood that or accepted that until actually pulling away a bit from them because then you get the guilt trips and, and uh, I think the feeling of coldness is what is usually used or described by the NP. So first we have to kind of go into that. Like, let's talk about what you feel like your unmet needs are. Let's talk about why you think maybe your parent might have this. What does this mean to you? Then to go gently again into what if your parent does have narcissism? What if your parent has been this person in your life that has completely lacked in their ability to nurture your feelings? So it's kind of like starting with that, that let's identify what you're going through and then we'll move it from there. The second part is actually character, the characterization of, of the dynamics. So like, yes, let's say your parent is MPD. Let's go there. So let's mm -hmm. talk about what maybe you would identify as what you would have loved your parent to be more of. Let's talk about that grief part. What do you think a parent that is healthier looks like? What do you think a relationship that is healthier looks like? 
um, you have to understand too, as a clinician, that you are not only helping the client identify, but while they're saying these things out loud, they are actually sitting with, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there's so much trauma here. And like what happens. imagine that's a really emotional part of the session. Yes. I, re I remember sitting with one client and they went back and forth from this protective quality of their parent to their not protective quality of a parent. Like I'm really angry at my parent, but I love them. But we, I had a really good childhood. Like what, how could I have both? How can both exist? So it really is like step two, like let's walk through this so slowly. Um, your third step is more of like um, the acknowledgement and uh, like building the client self-esteem about what they believe that they deserve. And like sitting with that identity, pulling away from what we call an imposter syndrome where they don't feel like that they deserve things or people see right through them. Um, kind of sitting with like more of like a, an identity building process as, as the next step with them. Third step is detachment, which is the most awful feeling in the world. So a client has to learn how to, to make boundaries and to make identifiers of like, what do you want the relationship to look like without talking to the person they have in the relationship with? Okay. So they have to actually identify for themselves. Do I want this relationship? What do I want this relationship to look like? And oftentimes that means sometimes not having a relationship. Um, the last part is my favorite part because it's like that self-actualized version of things where that client's like, okay, I, I have all this stuff right in my head. I have my boundaries out. I have what I want in a relationship. I feel like I know what I need and want and I deserve it. It's forgiveness. Forgiveness is the hardest thing for a client because they have to actually um, almost accept that this person in their life, they can love them, but that person can't understand. They will not change. They have no concept of what they've done to their child. And being able to let that go and forgive that parent is the only thing that's going to let that client be free from that. So this process could take years. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really difficult, but the emotionality is really tough and you have to walk through it very, very slowly. I like the fact that you're, you're focusing it on it being slow. Like this is not a succession work through, but you really, and I would assume like there's a lot of call for reflection in them uncovering things that they might not have really realized occurred in their childhood. There's a lot of unearthing going on. And I agree. I think that last step of forgiveness, you're not going to, they're not going to be able to have a conversation with their caregiver on this. And they're not going to get forgiveness from them, but it's kind of making a peace with themselves and acceptance and forgiveness of it. Yeah. It's like taking the hook out of you. Like yes. I'm not bait anymore. It's amazing. Yes. And I think too, like them feeling like they have options. Like what do you want this relationship to look like? And not necessarily feeling like they have to have that hook there because man, this is the person who's my caregiver. This is somebody who's raised me, but allowing them to have that option even for that hook of do we, where do we want it to be? Um, and what is best for you? I can assume that can be a really empowering part of the session as well. For sure. Absolutely. How do you recommend we approach when a child is, or um, a client is coming to terms with the unhealthy relationship that they had with their parent or caregiver 
is it like, I know you said like we should tread gently around it. Like, do we name it as NPD or do we purely kind of frame it as what if they have NPD? Like, or is there a value in naming it as NPD? Yeah. So uh, in my practice, and I think in a lot of people's practice that so we avoid uh, diagnostics like that almost completely. Yeah. Uh, we kind of explore everything with the client and if they identify it, uh, usually the first step, especially with NPD, is to challenge it. So like, okay. oh, wow, oh, that's a that's a big diagnostic criteria thing going on there. That's a little scary to me to hear that you might have a parent that whew, might have treated you that way. Can can we challenge that so that you don't have to like sit with that until you're you're pretty sure that that's what we we feel here? So like walking very openly, exploring it, challenging it, making sure that they're not just you know, very angry with their parent and they just want to, you know, have the label to throw. Um, we want a healthy version of if, if your parent has this, then what does that look like for you? Not taking that MP and putting them into like, you are a monster, a demon, a hurtful person. We, it's very important to not escalate the client when talking about this. Um, they, uh, they tend to basically ask you what the choices are too. Like, should I get rid of them? Should I, should I never talk to my parent again? And again, we do not answer these questions as clinicians, okay. yeah. but to explore like the, what are the benefits about? What did, what would you think that would do for you? How would that free you? But I, like we talked about in, in, with the last question, it is a process. So if you, if you want to help the client get to that decision, I believe it's probably best when the client is absolutely de-escalated. And as everyone can imagine, if you say MPD to any MPD, there is not going to be a de-escalation. No, there's not. There's not. And I think no. that's an important part to kind of convey to them that typically, like your parents not going to come, that caregiver, that person with NPD is not going to necessarily be in session. We're, we're usually kind of working with the child's, the victim of that NP. Um, and I, I like how you're, you, you say, like, you give it, like, emphasis of how, like, the magnitude of this diagnosis, because it is relatively rare, right, compared to the other diagnoses that we have in the DSM, um, because I think sometimes, um, sometimes, like, narcissistic parent, like, I see it a lot in, in our social media posts, I see it a lot floating around, and even that kind of falls into like OCD and sometimes those things I think can really be taken lightly without um, people understanding what this truly looks like um, from a diagnosis standpoint. So I think it's important that you kind of, you frame it as like, wow, oof, that's, that's, you know, that's a, that's a big diagnosis. Like that. Whereas in other forms, it might be very lightly approached. Like you could probably go online and Google, do I have a narcissistic parent and be able to take a 10 question quiz. Like it's, it's so always going to be saying yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. It is. It is. Um, so I really can appreciate like the need for clinicians to really, um, emphasize the magnitude of this diagnosis and it should not be taken lightly and kind of thrown around as maybe um, it is currently seeming to be. I have so many patients, you know, that come in and say, oh, my mom's, mom's a narcissist and um, my dad's a narcissist and it's very light, but I can appreciate like, it's like, wow. But usually when that happens, like your first question to yourself is what type 
of needs have, have just not been met. I mean, is this person truly having an entire lifetime in childhood of them having completely unmet needs emotionally? I mean, that's, that is trauma. That is deep. So if they're coming to you and saying, I have this, if there is a really, it's a really difficult place for a clinician to be like, let me challenge that, but also not let me validate validate that. Yeah, exactly. So let's say your client is feeling empowered and they want to confront their caregiver on these issues. Anything that us as clinicians could do to help make this successful for them? Absolutely. So um, I think the biggest battle is, again, identifying what they want in the relationship first um, and then learning the communication skills to address some boundaries. So um, how to express their parent without hurting their feelings or, you know, stroking the ego or making their parent feel rejected. How do we communicate these boundaries successfully? So um, what, what we really do is this, this version of detachment is like separating yourself from your parents' needs and then identifying what you want in the relationship and then maybe coming up with a, a kind of a sort of a compromise. Okay. Um, so something that um, is really useful here is, is to understand that your, your parent as a narcissistic parent, they love you. They love you. They, they have a, a selfish one-sided version of love. They have uh, a version of love that maybe feels um, maybe not authentic but they still love you. So you'll, you'll see a narcissistic parent maybe boast and, and say that they're proud to another person. And, and that's actually them saying, I love my kid. But you as a client, as a child, um, are experiencing this feeling of, they might be saying this to other people, but why aren't they saying it to me? Or you're seen as an extension as your parent. So a lot of times in helping the, the client deal with being the child of the NP, um, the boundaries are going to be really important. So uh, an example is maybe, um, maybe this client feels like they can't hang out with their mother or father, whoever the MP is, without other people being around because it just starts arguments or guilt trips. So they might say, you know, mom, dad, I really enjoy spending time with you and these other people. Like, I really enjoy spending time with the whole family. Um, I'm using the wrong inflections. You have to actually be like, hey, can we hang out with everybody all together? Um, That's kind of the boundary of safety, right? So if I know I can't be in a room with this person safely without feeling guilt or being asked a million questions of how we're not fulfilling this person's needs, how do we allow for that room to feel more safe? Okay. Okay. The other way to deal with things is to use a lot of what we call stroking the ego. Mm -hmm. So making your parent feel absolutely loved and respected and adored, um, throwing out compliments. So an example would be like, uh, you know, going over to your parents' house and be like, mom, dad, this house looks amazing. It really reflects your style. Like I wish, I hope people go into my house and see my style. Like this is really your style. So you're still putting emphasis on that separation while still throwing in like a really nice compliment to that person. So a a lot of the work that we're going to do with our clients is how we stroke the ego, how we make sure that we're respecting and valuing that person so that they don't throw that manipulation um, the, 
the unmet emotional needs pulled, their needs matter. We are hoping that this is going to allow for that, that maybe excuse to pull away sometimes. Um, and you have to understand like every boundary, it's going to be viewed as horrible by the okay. MP. They're going to see it as cold, pulling away, uncaring. And you're going to often hear that as a child of a narcissist, that if, if you don't fulfill their needs, it's a reflection of you being a bad kid. Um, you'll hear that too. Like I'm disappointing my parents. Like, how did you disappoint your parents? What did you actually do? Please explain that to me. Um, and it's, it's a really beautiful thing to see, uh, especially like a young teen who knows this about their parents be like, wait, I don't know. I just, I accept what my parents said to me that I'm being a brat. No, no, sweetie. I love that you're expressing that and owning it, but you are amazing and you are communicating well, but your mom or dad don't feel their needs are being met. So how can we do that a little bit better? So I think again, like the separation, uh, understanding of self and your identity and your needs. And then of course, communicating boundaries that are good for both parties, not just one or the other. Okay, good. I like that. And I like how it's not, you know, in these Con confrontations that our clients would be having with their parents. I think like what you're saying, it's important to kind of steer away from like blaming them and saying, you know what I've had, this is what you did to me. And, um, you're a narcissist and not go at it with like guns blazing. Um, because it's not going to be a productive conversation. So what you're providing to clients and to our fellow clinician clinicians as well is a way to kind of approach this in a way that can be more effective and productive, essentially. Like you get that this, this client has a lot of like pent up anger maybe about them, but coming at that to the parent um, or to the caregiver is not going to be effective. You're going, the, the NP is just going to kind of push away or what would you anticipate happening if they took that approach? Oh, just, it's a lot of, so you have to think in all these versions, maybe high functioning less so, uh -huh. but in all these versions, you get that perpetual victim. Okay. So no matter what, so let's say you, you started with the clients that like, I want you to give, let's, let's use a mother, like compliment your mom first and then set the boundary. Okay. What's the narcissistic parent going to do? They're going to sit with the boundary. So, you know, mom, I really miss you. I, I can't wait to see you again. But, you know, I have, I have a, a birthday party to go to this weekend. The narcissistic parent will be like, don't I matter more than that person? Doesn't my, why, why don't I get to see you? Like, what is happening? So their needs were, will over, always overshadow um, whatever this child is dealing with or this client is dealing with. Um, and you know what that, that's a version of gaslighting, which I'm sure we'll get into what gaslighting is. But yeah. what tends to happen is that either the child will fight back vehemently, like I know, yes. like this is not fair, or you'll see the child cower and be, be you know, almost self-gaslighting. That was unfair of me. You are my mother. I really do love you. So there really isn't an in-between. And by um, with this process, you're hoping to like kind of get into this place where um, they're okay with whatever the result looks like. So okay. one of the things that I was told in my training with narcissism and a lot of the books that I read is that, and, and this is super polarizing here, but either you're going to have a good relationship with your narcissistic parent and be a little bit miserable yourself, 
Okay. Or you're going to have a horrible relationship with your narcissistic parent and feel free and happy for yourself. Okay. And there's really no in between, but there are moments where you can choose which one is best for you and for your parent. So it's a tough pill to swallow, especially when we take this caretaker role that we just want to make people happy as, as children of narcissists, as therapists, even uh -huh. it is a goal to help people and be there for them and express care. But if somebody just keeps sucking that out of you, you get drained. You do. Okay. So sitting with that as a caretaker, as a child, as, as somebody who loves their parent and saying, you're allowed to say no, it's really, it's kind of a really tough pill to swallow for them. It is. And I like how you frame it. Like just because you are, um, you know, that polarizing outlook on it, you're either catering to the NP's needs and you're miserable or you're standing up for yourself and you feel free. I like how it's more situational. That's not necessarily the direction that you have to take on your relationship from here on out, but you're kind of you know, focusing in on those moments. You might have moments um, where you feel more free. You might have moments that you might be catering to the, the ego of the NP and feeling a little bit miserable, but you're, you're, you're encouraging them to take it moment by moment and not necessarily it being the trajectory for the remainder of their re relationship. Right. And coping with the guilt of choosing them mm -hmm. and the anger of choosing their parent. Yes over themselves, you know? So it, it's really this, this really, you have to learn how to emotionally detach from that and, and understand who you are as a person. If we have a client who comes to see us and they want to better communicate with their NP and improve the relationship, is this like realistic? And in a sense, can an individual with NPD ever change? Short answer? No. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a, a beautiful article, uh, which Sarah, I'll give to you to, to post. Okay. Um, it's by Bill Snow. I think it's in psych articles, but um, it's basically, if you, if anyone out there wants to just Google how to talk to a narcissist, Bill Snow, um, it's a really nice, easy to read little step-by-step, uh, -step, like, what do you expect? Um, the only thing that you will read in the first three sentences, I think is like, have no expectations. Like, don't think you're going to ever go into a conversation with a narcissist to actually get something out of it that you want. It will never happen. Don't even go into it. Instead, think about what do you need? What do you need in this situation? If it's better for you as a client, as a child of a narcissist to express your needs, to allow yourself that forgiveness, like I'm going to let this go. Yes, of course do it, but you know what's going to happen. They're going to have the guilt trips. They're going to try to manipulate. They'll call you uncaring. They'll call you cold. They'll say that you're being a bad kid. Um, and, and oftentimes too, the, the allies that they have around them will almost expect for you to go with the flow. Like just get, step back into your role. Okay. Yeah. Stop causing problems. So again, like there's the only expectation at all with being able to communicate with, with a narcissist in general is that you're communicating. That's okay. it. You're setting the boundaries. You're trying to at least. Um, keeping a boundary and maintaining it is the most important thing. So I'm not going to pick up my phone when you call. It has to actually be a follow through with the person who's setting the boundary. Narcissists will always try to cross that boundary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because for them, it's like, how dare you? I deserve. 
how dare you? I'm entitled to. How dare you? It's not about that child, you know, being at a job or uh, going to their friend's house. It's, it's only about like, why don't you love me right now? So uh, I really want to focus on, on the word change too, Sarah, because like that is so important. There is change. There's a huge piece of change that's happening here. And the change that you can look forward to and expect is the change that you will be free. Mm -hmm. You will find yourself and the change is the new relationship. Okay. So that relationship that you've created through these boundaries and allowing yourself to have these boundaries and giving yourself the opportunity to feel the pain of that detachment and the love of self through that process and to feel even just proud of yourself, parent yourself. Yeah. I'm so proud of myself for like finding myself. That's the change to expect. So anybody who's coming into your office and saying, um, I, I want to confront my mom or dad and I want them to change and I want them to know how I feel. Um, they're gonna hear you. Like people have ears, they, they can hear you, yeah. but the expression of love is totally different. Like I said before, they love you. They love you so much, but the version of love is what are you doing for me? What's your productivity? What's your extension of my hand? How do you reflect positive on me? On me? And that might come from a lot of dynamics, but for a child of a narcissist to be able to say, I'm happy with myself. I'm okay with hurting somebody, even though it's not intentionally. Yeah. And I can move forward. That's the beauty of the change that we want to see within session and with a narcissist. Yes. And I like how you're framing it with the word change, not change to necessarily improve it and have it be this um, healthy emotional relationship, but change in the fact of how you are coping with it and how you are managing that change and change with how you view yourself. That's the change that you can anticipate in, in coming to counseling and trying to work through these issues, not change in the dynamic of a relationship. Yeah. And this is usually in your detachment and forgiveness stages. Like if you think of them as stages, yeah. when you're working with somebody who, uh, let's say they're in this stage where they're like, I just, I really want my parents to know. I really, they're, they're obviously not detached yet. So a conversation about change and normalcy will look better when they get to a place where you're like, okay, your, your mom or dad affected you right now. Let's actually talk about you. Let's okay. hear you and without the guilt and emotional horror that is happening from that childhood trauma. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a change in the way that they kind of view that once they kind of get to that phase of kind of detaching and looking at it from a perspective of, of self and you and focusing it on themselves. Yeah. What do you think the worst thing is that our clients can do when dealing with their NP? Whew. Um, calling them an NP. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, uh, one of my favorite things is like and statements and but statements. So um, I've had a couple clients come in with MPs saying like, you know, I, I, this is a hard pill for me to swallow because I had a really great childhood. Like, okay. But now like we, we hate each other and they use that strong word, hate, hate, like there's some visceral reaction going on there, you know? So, um, what, what we do is, you know, let's switch that to end. Like you can have both exist. You can mm -hmm. have a really healthy, great childhood, but people change, relationships change. 
Um, so the blame game is awful. Please don't tell your parents ever, if you have a narcissistic parent, that they're wrong or they don't love you or um, even like throwing at them, like your needs have always been more important than mine or my needs are not met in this relationship. Um, because with that victimization, whether it's overt covert or high functioning, it immediately goes to either attacking defensiveness or becoming such a victim that they shut down and they have their own little special powers. They mm -hmm. learned to train the child to kiss the ring, stroke yeah. the ego, to buy them flowers and, and come to their house and, you know, go golfing. You know, they, they trained the child to make it up to them. So it's going to be really important to, to work through the patterns of these behaviors and identify those patterns. Um, and not to confront the issues. Okay. Work on boundaries, not issues. Boundaries, not issues. And being able to accept that. I like how you said that using and statements instead of but. I had a great childhood, but we hate each other. Um, yeah, you can, you can have a great childhood and still hate each other. Like it's okay to have both of those exist. I sometimes in session, I have like a little hand motion that I do with both of my fists. I know this is an audio recording, but I kind of, just to kind of express that you can have both emotions. You can, and I have one fist and the other next to the other, like we can have both emotions. Let's, it's okay. We don't have to um, choose one or the other. It can be both, which is sometimes a really hard switch for people. Um, and especially I think when you have a narcissistic parent, um, there's a lot of black and white thinking that kind of goes on. So I can understand that influence that a child would have in not in really struggling to say I have, I had a great childhood and we hate each other. You know, I could see that struggle because of that influence in that environment that they grew up in, which was very um, black or white, very polarizing kind of mentality from the parent influence. Yeah. Um, how can our clients, young or old, protect themselves from being hurt from a narcissistic parent? Uh, that, that's, that's so difficult. So um, like going back to the change piece, uh, somebody told me once, and I'm sure it's in the DSM at this point, that uh, some of the symptoms of narcissism kind of like dissipate or get less intense over time. Um, yes, but I, I, I always, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I always come back to it like, but, but how about, they're, for lack of a better word, victims. Like, what about these children? Does hurt go away over time? Um, in my practice, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like the hurt just just keeps growing and the resentment keeps growing unless they're in therapy. Like, let's actually talk through it. Let's get your identity. Um, so to answer your question about, like, to help them, I, I think it's, I think it's lifelong therapy. I really do. I think there's going to be so many challenges that are so ingrained um, that there, there's no avoiding a lot of the things that, that we learn from our upbringing. So I, I don't think there's a way to avoid a lot of the feelings. And as I'm sure we're going to get into as well, it's like there's, there's a lot of beautifully uh, wonderful characteristics that come from being raised in, in this role of, of, you're automatically either the golden child or you're automatically this caretaker role. And people do see you as a, a beautiful person with neat flaws, right? Like whole yes. and whatever. But I, I really do think that um, the, the biggest way to avoid 
any negativity and lifelong trauma from this is to actually really try to develop on those strengths and to really pursue getting to know who you are as a whole, whether it's from this or from other reasons, but um, don't avoid who you are. Just accept it and know that you're a good person and, and know that you can have a different life and a different relationship without having to have any type of indication or closure with it. I don't know if that's exactly what you're going for. No, but, that, but yeah, <laughs> like that empowerment. Like that yeah. And you, you are strong. Because I think that offers a layer of protection when people feel confident in themselves, you know, then they're kind of more protected against like the- Less affected. Less affected yeah. by it. And let's, let's kind of go there with um, the- you know, I think sometimes maybe for our listeners to hear, you know, as we've been talking that there could be some good things that come out of being raised by an NP. Let's go there. What do you see as if we're taking like a strength-based perspective, what's the good that can come? So I, I joke around a lot with clients. Okay. Uh, it's, it's awful and wonderful at the same time. So I kind of say like you've become this master manipulator. Like it's, it's really awesome because like, because of your strength of being able to feed the ego and make your parent feel amazing about themselves. Cause that's what you were, you know, created for, yeah. um, <laughs> but it slightly, um, you kind of become this person who naturally tends to approach situations with love and kindness in order to try to pop in some criticism or try to pop in a little bit of like ways that we can change our relationship. So I, I tell them like, you know, this might've been really difficult and, and talking to a narcissist, you're not going to get what you want. But if you have a quote unquote normal relationship with somebody and coming at them with love first is really going to do a really good thing for you. Yeah. Um, this, the biggest thing though, is like we naturally become caretakers as uh, children uh, of narcissists, um, other personality disorders as well. But we, the caretaker role is because we're forced into that role, but there's a huge piece of pride that comes from that. So you'll see a lot of people who have parents in, in in the narcissism role and you'll see that person seem to be like grappling with like, do I want to be a caretaker? How do I draw lines with caretaking? But it is 100% the thing that they value most about themselves. And I don't think you have to throw that away. I think that being a caretaker is a beautiful gift and if somebody's not sucking you dry, <laughs> yes. then I mean, use it. And then, and then the last thing, which is uh, definitely one of my favorites to say to people is uh, it's okay to put your needs aside for other people if it's reciprocal. If it's reciprocal. Yes. Cause I'm imagining, you know, somebody who's like, we kind of talked about at the top of the show, somebody in a relationship or just starting out in a relationship. And yes, it's a beautiful thing to be a caretaker, but only if it's reciprocated. Right. And we, we expect in relationships, a lot of people, like they've grown up to say like relationships are 50, 50. I don't believe that in any way, shape or form. I think a relationship is, you know, when you're the stronger person in a situation, you take on the brunt of that situation. So like if I have the flu, my husband will do the laundry. Thank you very much. Yeah. Let's just say I always have the flu, but that's (laughs) not, (laughs) that's not something that that in a narcissistic relationship is present. So when, when a, an NP's child is growing up and in a relationship and says like, I really, I do the laundry all the time and my husband or wife are taking advantage of me, that feeling and thought is there because of the, the past relationship. 
But if that husband or wife or partner is the person who's saying, I want to do this to make you happy, that's, that's something maybe you're not used to as, yeah. as a, <laughs> a product of this. But look at it, be in it, and understand that you don't have to feel guilty for them doing that for you. And you don't have to feel like you have to pay them back for it. Okay. Like sometimes yeah. people want to make you happy, believe it or not. So this beautiful, like, think of it as like a flower blooming. Like, you didn't have that. And now you can have that. And it's such a beautiful thing for them to start being aware of and start understanding that people want to make them happy too. It's a beautiful uh, strength, like I said, strength. It's beautiful. It's, it's great to watch people start expecting and accepting love. Accepting it. And like, I, I love the phrase, like leaning into it, like leaning into that love, leaning <laughs> yes. into those um, expressions of appreciation um, and accepting it. Smile and say thank you. And yes. believe it. Yeah. And believe it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So I like that we're able to kind of say, you know what, there, you, know, you can, there's a lot of good that came out of this. And, and how can we use that good in a, in a healthy way that still boundaries? Because I can see um, how some people who, yes, they have that ability to be a caregiver can be taking advantage of, but really hitting home that you know, you can be a caregiver, but it's got to be reciprocated. And, you know, sometimes in working with individuals who were raised by an NP, they might find themselves exploring if they were truly loved. And I love how you kind of framed it early on to say, yes, you were truly loved. And when it comes to them, like understanding this concept of love when it comes to their NP, what is something that can be helpful? Like, you know, when they're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel and like looking for these expressions, um, how can we get to that, get them to that point where they can see it, even if it doesn't necessarily look like how they want it to look, but how, how do we point it out? How do we see it? Right. I, so that's, that's so difficult because, uh, it, it really depends on where the client is and how they're feeling about everything with detachment. Um, so like I said before, um, if, if a, if a narcissistic parent is boasting about you, if a narcissistic parent is saying I'm proud of to somebody else, it is because they want to see that other person give them the feedback for your successes. But a lot of times the client will not see that as the compliment to themselves. Okay. So it's really important to almost take those moments and say, Ooh, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I'm a reflection on them, that means I'm a good reflection on them. So it's really good to kind of be able to get into those places where um, you're looking for maybe a a little bit of of that confirmation that your parent is proud of you, that you are a success in some way. Um, You'll often notice uh, also that (laughs) <laughs> the overstepping of boundaries is also a way that a narcissist shows care, especially when you have that, that, um, the, the second one, the more vulnerable one, they're okay. constantly looking for the reassurance, right? So do you care about me? Do you care about me? Do you care about me? Why do they care so much that you care about them? Why do they need that reassurance from you? So it's really important that you understand the power as a client that you have with your narcissistic parent and as a clinician to be able to like use your little manipulative skills to yeah. be like, what could look like love here? Like we're, let's dig deep, dig let's deep. look for it. Yeah. 
let's let's identify, even if it doesn't look like love, like just identify it as like the attempt yes. is there. So as an example, if if um if your parent doesn't like is mad at you and doesn't want to hug you, but they they're like, fine, we're okay with their head to the side and yeah. a little bit of anger, they're still giving you the hug. Yeah. So like those horrible feelings can still, like we talked about the big picture and little pieces, like you can still not like your parent. You can still have horrible fights with your parent, but you have to know that in there, even though it's maybe a bit distorted, there is a version of love that exists. And otherwise, uh, I think that parenting would look a lot differently. Um, it doesn't mean that your needs aren't unmet. It doesn't mean that you weren't emotionally, you know, um, withdrawn or, or uh, not nourished. It, it just means that the only version of love that your parents knew how to give you is the version of love that they are able to give, you. To give you. Yeah. So it's it's like your traditional love languages. Like I tr I truly believe that you have to understand how people love in order to feel that love, mm -hmm. but that doesn't always mean that you're actually getting your version of love back. So exactly. this is where that detachment comes in again. Kind of that detachment and accepting that this is their version of love. Trying to, at least. Trying yeah. to. <laughs> Trying to. Yes. Yeah. Do you think a client can like recover from a relationship with an NP or is this lifelong? Like, like what kind of hope can we instill within our clients? So that the answers to that are, are yeses, like yeah. yes across the board, yes mm -hmm. across the board and no across the board. Right. So, um, let's say we have the type of narcissist, we'll say like the high powered one or, or maybe a more aggressive one with the comorbidities. What, what you kind of have to like focus on with those things is like, how do your parents also deal with this? So if you have a narcissistic parents, like you fall in line or you're done, um, to focus on like what change can we get from that it's gonna be really important or if you have the the victim one like i, I need reassurance i have a heart I, you don't love me um to have that guilt not lead the way too and and to be able to express a selective love yeah so let's say uh, a parent is like um you know unloads like you never feel this you never want to see me you never want to go here with me you never send this you never do that to actually say okay which ones are the true there and let's validate that one you know what dad i haven't seen you for a couple of weeks you're right i'm sorry you know you're feeling distant from me um you know what let's let's put something on the books let's put something on the books so sometimes it, the unloading okay makes people yeah. feel horrible but like these are all skills that they have to learn very slowly over time but it has to come from the place where they have to say to themselves and understand i'm okay I, as a person, I'm proud of who I've become. Mm -hmm. I've, I'm proud of the emotional nurturing that I've given myself. And to say it very clearly to you and to everybody else, every single client will find a new normal for them that feels healing. And if they can find that new normal that feels healing, then everything will feel better. It won't be better. It will feel better. Feel better. And I think that's the important part, just kind of how we're hitting on change. Doesn't mean you're going to have a healthier relationship, but it'll feel better. Yeah. Not necessarily be better. Um, and, and to jump off of that too, like there's like the worst thing that we can do as, as clinicians is to talk about needs as like, we have to separate like unmet needs from 
the needs, like this is the client's needs and these are the parents' needs. And this narcissistic parent isn't a typical parent. So the needs of the client have to be completely separate from the needs of, of the narcissistic parent. Um, I have I have a quote that I heard and I keep on pushing it forward. I, I want to share it with everybody. It's yeah. the, the most powerful thing that I think I say to clients with this. Um, it's the concept that saying to your narcissistic parent that I am trying. So let's say the narcissistic parent is like, I don't like these boundaries. I don't feel good with these boundaries. Like mm -mm, throw them all out. This is not my needs. You were able to say, this is the only confrontation that I think works, to be honest. Uh -huh. You were able to say to that parent, these boundaries are the way that I am choosing to have a relationship with you because I want you in my life. Otherwise, the alternative is something that has to be something that we look at. Like, I want you in my life, therefore the boundaries exist. Not, I'm trying to get you out of my life. Because a narcissist will see it as pushing yes. away. So you have to frame with your client, if you are going to uh, tell them to confront this, that parents, I love you so much that there's no life without you. See, mm -hmm. stroke the ego. Stroke the ego. And you yeah. say, I love you enough to try. And I don't want you in my life. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't not want you. <laughs> I don't not want you in my life. Kind of staying away from them like interpreting it as you pushing it away, pushing them away. But like, I'm doing this because I want you in my life because I love you and, and stroking that ego to kind of get them to kind of come to that understanding. Yeah. And also not taking the bait to explain why you have the boundaries. Yeah. It's, it's not like you're pushing me away. No, no, no. I'm not pushing you away. I'm saying that I, I love you enough to keep trying. So this is how we're trying. This is how we're trying. Yes. And I have to assume narcissistic parents and peace maybe feel intimidated by their child going to a therapist. Jill, she giving me a big <laughs> shake. Yes, she is. Oh my gosh. It's the worst. So, uh, so I'm going to go through the, the version. So, yeah. uh, usually you're, you're the last one, the, the high achiever, uh, will feel, offended and, and might actually start gaslighting or it might, it might make you feel weak. Like what, what you need problems, like you need help with your problems. Like the, the definitely overstep and steamroll. Yes. Um, the first version, usually it's, it's more of the, um, if, if there's like the any, first version, like the overt, the overt, I'm overt. sorry. Yes. yes. That's <laughs> going okay. in order. So yeah. the overt version you, you might see, um, like you go to therapy and then if you even say like, I'm, I'm learning about my childhood and my unmet needs, like it's immediately like, what do you mean? You had an amazing childhood and it might not come out as screaming, but it might, it definitely has some version of like, you're blaming me and they will believe that you are blaming them, even though you say nothing about it. Yes. Yeah. So mostly people with like the overt type of narcissistic parent, they probably don't usually tell their parents that they're going to therapy. Yes. Okay. But the, the middle one is the hardest one because the middle one, the, the middle one, the covert, <laughs> fragile, and the last one is the high functioning. Yes. So the middle one, the, the covert, go ahead. Yes. I'm so sorry. Yeah. You're I have it in my brain. Yeah. So the, the covert, the vulnerable type. Yes. Um, that's usually the ones, uh, which I feel is so sad because you, they have this representation of that anxiety and depression and having the low or high self-esteem, depending on, you know, the, the interaction. So a lot of people who have a parent who has that, that covert, that vulnerable, 
they tend to actually have more of that caretaker role in saying like, I don't want to hurt this person's feeling because the ramifications of hurting the feeling is that horrible guilt and shame. Like, why did I do that? So usually when a client's going to therapy and saying, Hey, you know, mom or dad, like I'm, I'm going to therapy. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, fix things. You'll hear immediately. Like, was I not a good mother? Was I not a good father? What does this mean? Does this mean that you don't want me in your life? It's, it's more of like that victim stance that you almost want to like coddle them and cradle them and be like, you're okay. What does that look like? That should be what they're doing for you. you. Yes, <laughs> like, I'm so sorry you're hurting. Why are you going to therapy? Let me help you. Let's have a real conversation. Holy normal parenting. Yes. But this is, this is like that moment where the child might stop going because they, they feel like they're causing their parents pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, oh my gosh, if they're like, what did their therapist say? Yes. <laughs> ah, ah, I don't want to talk about it. And then why aren't you talking about it? Why can't you talk to me about it? Why am I, I personally, you're holding these secrets from what is happening. So the only advice I can say is if you're saying you're going to therapy, for your narcissistic parent and your upbringing, I would again focus on the, I'm going to therapy to develop an identity for myself, separate from my childhood, separate mm -hmm. from other people. I feel like I'm a caretaker and they're going to call themselves empaths for you. Yes. It, it'll be great. It'll, you'll learn a little bit without disclosing too much and making them feel like good. <laughs> yes. So. You kind of really have to tiptoe on it. Cause I could see like, if a child is trying to set boundaries, they're going to blame the therapist and not think it's genuinely coming from their child. And then it's, well, that therapist that you're going to. Yeah. So it's really kind of really gently and allowing that to be your private space to kind of work through things and maybe not doing as much disclosure because yeah. it could, you know, especially if you have a teenager, yeah. might not yeah. bring you to therapy anymore. So really, well, that's the difference there too. The high functioning and over you might see as a therapist, them coming at you with credentials, them yeah. coming at you with training, with questions about like almost like knocking you down as best as they can mm -hmm. because they really want to avoid what's to come out of the therapy yes. session. Um, but most narcissists do not know that they are narcissists. So it's, it's almost frantic attempts to stop that from happening. Yes. Okay. Good. We only have like a couple minutes left. So I want to kind of hit at this last question. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of times I get these topics from the show, from what I see going on on social media, what us clinicians are talking about, um, what I see just in general articles being written and what's the common, um, thread there. And, and narcissism has been one of them lately that I feel like is, is something we're talking about a lot lately. Um, so I always feel like we have, um, clinicians, even our clients that are like looking for resources and they want to read more about it. Um, what do you recommend as like good reads that are helpful? I have a few. And um, so I'm going to go through just like the understanding part first. So the understanding of uh, self. Um, I don't have a, a great book that I would recommend for uh, sons of narcissism, but um, the daughters of narcissism. So there's uh, Carol McBride, which I think I earlier had mentioned. Uh, it's called Will I Ever Be Good Enough? Um, I actually recommend this for men and women who are a product of a narcissistic parent um, because the overall version of, of what they get through is how to self-parent, how to have compassion, how to detach. Um, the beginning part of the book is more of like more relational piece and um, 
narcissistic daughters and mothers have a, a very different dynamic because of, we'll call it like generational um, stereotypes as well. Okay, so, yeah. you, you know, uh, you'll hear like you have to dress up and put on your makeup and, and look good for your husband. Like that, that might be something generational that might be narcissism. So like there's, there's a lot of pieces with that, but um, that's an amazing book. Uh, it's very hard to get through. If you give it to your client, make sure that they take okay. it step by step. Uh, the second book, uh, tremendously needed in everyone's life dealing with this is um, it's from Morgalis. I don't know how to say the last name. It's F-J-E-L-S-T-A-D. Okay. Um, it's called Stop Caretaking the Borderline or Narcissist, How to End the Drama and Get On with Your Life. Ah, okay. I like um, that. Yeah. If you throw it into like any search and say stop caretaking, I'm sure it'll come up as one of okay. the first ones. Um, this actually identifies with mo like, these are very specific personality disorders, but they're very similar in way parenting and caretaking happen. Um, but it really actually goes through what happens in the narcissist or borderline's brains and how we fall into that going with the flow pattern system that uh, often we get stuck in and get used to. So it really just, it kind of identifies your accountability as a client or a, a victim of all of this and their part and how to actually have more control over those dynamics. Um, for self, the most important things is uh, find a book or a workbook or a journal on self-compassion. Okay. Biggest thing ever because the gaslighting that comes from a narcissist or a borderline person, more specifically a narcissist, causes us to develop this self-gaslighting often. I'm being too sensitive. I'm overthinking that. Why do I feel so uh, strongly about that? Is this my fault? Like all that self-gaslighting happens and what a self-compassion look at things will do is actually look at it a little bit more objectively, make sure that you're like shutting down things that are true um, maybe reorganizing your emotions about it. Okay. Um, the more important thing is as a child of a narcissist, you will often wonder if you are also a narcissist. Yeah. You are okay. not a narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> if you're wondering these things, you are not, We're not a narcissist. Yes. yes. If you're reading the criteria for narcissism and saying, maybe I am one, you are not, not. that's a good, uh, that's a really good way to kind of like address that question, short and sweet. You're asking yeah. the question and you're not. Yeah. And, and that's so important because they're so afraid of becoming their parents because mm -hmm. of what their parents did to them unknowingly that because they become so focused on how do I know what I'm doing to people, AKA caretaking. Yes. Um, the last two things that I can say are amazing resources. Um, there's, uh, there's affirmation pods like all over the internet. Um, it's so important to bring affirmations into your life. You are void. If you are a daughter or son of a narcissist of affirmations and emotional nurturing, you need to bring it into your life and accept it. So, you know, positive gratitude journals for yourself or actually listening to a podcast that does like a 10 minute thing, any meditative, positive thinking, I don't care if it's the, you know, the cliche things with positive psychology, like manifestations, yeah. don't care. Um, as long as Anything. you are like, yeah, as, as long as you're nurturing yourself and parenting yourself. A lot of people think it's very hokey to parent yourself, like mm, you're a good job, but, but it is actually necessary for this because when your parent 
during this detachment process is making you feel like a horrible person, you have to have that core of you knowing that I am not a horrible person. I'm okay. So affirmations and the last and the most important one is find a way to detach with love. Okay. And all these books will allow you to learn that, but you have to find your own as a client. You have to find your own and your therapist should, we should be able to help that. Okay. So what does that look like for your situation with your parents? You have to be able to have that, that base of this is where we're starting and this is what detachment looks like for you as a client. Not everybody else's, yours. Yours. I really like that because I, I guess I wasn't anticipating there to be so much of a focus on the books that you recommend on self-compassion, but now as you're describing it, it is so important. Like that's really the key to this, to this process in, in working in therapy with these children or um, adults who were victims of, a, of an NP. So I want to thank you for that. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, I, I think there's so much content that we've put out there that I think our <laughs> listeners are really going to appreciate it and kind of dive into it. So I think you did a great job, um, in inspiring clinicians to kind of gain more insight and maybe continue to learn a little bit more about, um, the children of narcissistic parents. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you'll thank come you. visit us again. Oh my gosh. Anytime. Thank you so much. And I just I want to throw out to the clinicians listening. It's, I, I, this week, everything on social media is saying, yes. thank your therapist. So if I may, can yes. I just say thank you to all the therapists for everything that you're doing for your clients? Cause you're changing their lives and you're a part of their life in a bigger way than you could ever imagine. So, uh, if you are a child of a narcissist as a, cl a clinician also, uh -huh. please know that this is a part of that self-care and growing. So thank you so much just because it's the week of that. <laughs> Thank you, Jill. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you, Sarah. Yes. Thank you, clinicians. I want to add to that as well. Thank you, clinicians. All right. We'll see you guys for next time on episode 11. If you listen to our podcast and you would like to obtain continuing education credit hours, please check out our website at therapeuticperspective.com to see if your state is eligible to receive NBCC continuing education credit hours. If your state does, you will need to go to therapeuticperspective.com and click on the show that you just listened to. From there, you will see three links to three online documents to complete. These include an attestation, quiz, and evaluation. Once we receive these documents and the continuing education credit hour fee set through our PayPal link on our website, we will send you your certificate of completion via email. If you need any help or support in the process, please email us at therapeuticperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.